Listening to bits and pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado, and I'm Matt Duncan out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And uh, we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net/support, and you can see some ways you can help us out. Um, for episode four, we've got some great topics this week. So, for starters, we have some follow-up. We talked a lot in the last episode about sound quality and bit rates and sample rates. And uh, why and when you would care about that or, or what level you would need to be at. And very famously in the consumer market right now, Neil Young has pushed his Pano player as a, a high-def audio player that plays 24-bit 192 FLAC files that they sell through a Pono store. And they're really pushing hard on the, the audio file. This is going to sound better front and. There's some articles coming out um, finally about the player, and it's kind of amusing. And it's kind of what we expected to happen. Honestly. Yeah, in in light of our previous discussion, I I can't help but feel a little a little happy to watch this <laughs> player get trashed. But I think that the big struggle here is that it costs four hundred dollars, and when people listen in in double blind tests, they can't tell the difference between it and an iPhone. So David Pogue did this, and he actually has a, a wonderful little video, if you check out the link in the show notes, where he, he uses a splitter, and I'm sure everyone's going to immediately latch onto that and be like, it's the splitter that's ruining the sound quality. <laughs> but um, all, pretty much everyone either had a meh, I can't tell response, or some people even ended up picking the iPhone most of the time. And Which, to their defense, <laughs> might be the reason maybe the uh, iPhone... I don't know, naturally boost some, some lows or some mids, which is always something that hi-fi equipment likes to do. So uh, you get a more fun listening experience. So it might be that the Pono player is just, a, just has a flatter frequency response. But yeah, most people will probably like the one that sounds a little more bassy or something. Yeah. And uh, Ars Technica also provided a review, and they were they were slightly less harsh on it. They were still pretty negative about how there really seems to be no benefit to these these insanely yeah. high <laughs> bitrate files. But uh, they they used the phrase "snake oil" um, in their review. That basically, yeah, it's ripping people off who have a bunch of money. I mean, there's one feature that I like. I mean, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a use for it, but. Uh, it does have a balanced output, output, so you can, I think, output the left and the right channels uh, through single cables and then have a balanced output, which does actually d uh, do something if you want to transport the, the sound over, like, I don't know, two, three or four meters and you're afraid of getting noise just from the cable or something, which actually would uh, or could happen. But for that, um, yeah, you've got balanced connections and... But yeah. seriously, who who hooks up uh, who hooks up this uh, MP3 player or Pono player to something to an audio player that's like ten feet away? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a little niche, and I think in general a, a portable like the guy who's going to buy the high def portable player would be the guy that needs to invest in the whole chain. Yeah, um, sort of analogous to our whole chain conversation about recording equipment, but like. The people that I've seen in these reviews, they're using earbud, you know, twenty dollar earbuds, <laughs> and it's like it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter what you're playing through. That it's going, the headphones are defining the quality far more than anything else. 
Yeah, all of that just for carrying a four hundred uh four hundred dollar Toblerone package in your pocket. <laughs> Toblerone. That's what I thought of too. Um but that's not all the snake oil uh, in our follow up. Um there's also uh Sony would also love to take your money. Um more money than normal for the same number of gigabytes. They sell an S D card, uh, a micro S D card that they're they're marketing as having premium sound. And can you explain to me why the, a difference in SD card could possibly affect the sound of a file? Well, it, it's supposed <laughs> to be something to do with uh, less electrical noise being emitted from, I don't know, from reading from this, from the SD card. But um, as far as I know, they, they all, e either the device in which you put the SD card or the SD card itself already has some kind of shielding in it. And effectively, the, the difference it makes is... Nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> and so they 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 will sell you for almost, I think, twice the price. Yeah. No, four or five times the price. So one hundred sixty dollars. Yeah, they'll sell you a sixty-four gig premium sound SD card for sixty-four gigs, and yeah, it, they also have bridges to sell. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, and, th and this reminded me of this article um, where some person uh, compared different storage devices for playback. So different kinds of uh, um, um, hard drives and NAS and all that. And th there's this article we put going to put in the show notes. It's hard to not read this as satire. If it's, if it is satire, I mean, it's, it's post law. You never yeah. really know, but <laughs> just, I, I, I had this one quote here, which uh, went like, um, also, QNAP1 did not sound as clean as CD in the higher registers. Some edgy grain exaggerated the sampled horns that sets the scene in the opening of Primal Screens loaded. Added to the color, but nudging it off neutrally. Splash symbols lived up to their name. <laughs> All because of that hard drive. Yeah, that the, and what's insane about this, uh, if you're, you're not familiar with the details is, Storage device, I mean, data on disks is ones and zeros, and until it's actually being interpreted and decoded into sound, it's the same thing regardless of the storage device. And so the, the real kicker here is if these devices were actually influencing the data of sound files <laughs> as they're being transcoded or decoded into sound, that would mean everything else you use hard drives for is in danger of being modified or destroyed or corrupted. And yeah, we'd have much bigger problems than just the playback of a music. Yeah, you'd open up your text files and there'd be different characters in there because <laughs> it's storing the data differently, or it just wouldn't work. So that would be like a fundamental lack of integrity to file systems. So it's just a, it's just a bunch of, it's like alternative medicine, but for audio files, it's just, Weird. It doesn't work. <laughs> theories that don't really pass scientific muster, but sound convincing enough if you don't dive into the details. You're like, yeah, it's plausible that. I mean, I'm sure there are some corners. Like, I know electronics and shielding and, and interference are real things. Resistance is real things and distortion is real things in speakers, but people are stretching these concepts into corners where it doesn't actually apply or make sense. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that, that's our audiophile update. And we, I mean, we aren't going to be anti-audiophile on this show. It's just there's these little prominent public examples are, are worth talking about to, so that when there's actually a moment to talk about what is really quality, um, we can actually have something to say and separate the wheat from the chaff. 
Um, so you have a you have a story from a gig yesterday. Yeah, I was a, uh, at a gig from a band uh, from a friend's band, and it was in a location in a bar that I've played before for like two or three times, and the whole bar is like L shaped, so the stage is kind of in the center there, and then. I know from experience that so when you're on stage, you only have the chance to look at half of the audience at a time because either you look right or you look left. And so we were sitting halfway through one of the legs of the L, and as soon as, as, soon as the band started to play, the whole front row of friends and family started together, so we didn't see anything at all. But luckily, at about the second song, one person in the front row pulled out their iPad and started recording. Or at least we thought they started recording, but um, so we used their iPad as a as a kind of screen to actually watch what was going on on stage. So it was like when you go to a festival and you can't really see the stage, and they've got these big screens. Yeah. And so about two or three songs later, we noticed that um, yeah, that person wasn't even really recording with their iPad. They were just standing there the whole time. I don't know if they didn't. I guess they didn't know that they didn't hit record. Maybe it was like a friend's iPad and they just said, hey, please record me on stage. But it was kind of funny and amusing to uh, to look at this the whole time because, I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have seen anything. So I'm grateful for that. But that person will not have anything on that iPad <laughs> from that evening. I just wanted a monitor, a video monitor. Yeah. <laughs> so... For our next topic, we have a uh, social networks for musicians and bands, and I think um, not to be a complainer episode, but I think I'm going to have a lot to complain about yeah. <laughs> about this topic. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, maybe let's open it up, uh, maybe on the positive side. Like, uh, what's good about social networking for musicians, or, or where do you go and what do you use, or how? What's your strategy um, for what you do? Well, strategy. I mean, it's just if I find something that's fun to listen to or just enjoy. I just try to find the band on any platform they've got, like Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, maybe. And just, I don't know, just shoot a message and say, hey, I like what you're doing. And from there on, it hopefully goes organically. So I'm never like, okay, let's try to get in contact with that band and get a remix out of them. Maybe some uh, we stay in contact, maybe not. But it's 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 good to always have them on monitor and see if there's some activity that you can jump in or comment on or just just stay in contact in whatever way possible. And even better if it's locally, but I mean, the internet makes it possible to just stay in contact with anybody in the whole world. So, um, I mean, we've, we've got somebody in, in sitting in Chile who did a piano version of one of our songs and we wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for, I don't know, I think we met him through YouTube or something. It's just you find these little things and then you just try to make friends with them. Yeah. And I've enjoyed the the fact that you can do those collaborations with people you've never met. I mean, this entire podcast exists because of that. Yeah. But also, uh, like, I remember when I put out my the first Genetic Engines album that uh, there was a Reddit thread um, that was basically inviting musicians to post their songs and then visual artists would follow up and draw something based on it. And I don't know if you saw that. I mean, they've probably done this kind of thread many times, but... Um, I, I threw my song Rotation into there, and uh, this guy drew this amazing little digital painting of... It was like this long-haired, bearded man who had fallen asleep in the forest, and like trees and branches were growing through him. And it was just like this gorgeous little thing that I'll put in the show notes. But I just love that like that 
was able to happen because of social media and just like, yeah, I'll just put myself out there and someone liked my stuff and then they made something that was really cool with it. And, um, that's, that's always the most wonderful thing when you're just like, wow, I love this. I think that's, that's, that's the important base of it. It has to happen naturally and there has got to be at least a mutual respect. I mean, I can be, fr I'm, I'm definitely friends with other musicians who uh whose music i don't really enjoy because it, it's not my kind of music but i'm still can say yeah what you're doing is fine it's it's great and let's stay in contact and do something together but it, it doesn't always have to be like uh you gotta love everything they do or something but there's gotta be that mutual respect and uh not trying to just gain that gain something from other people and I actually remember that Sufjan Stevens wrote a blog post once, like four or five years ago, and he, he the title was Friend Rock, and he was talking about exactly that, like you go to your friend's show, and you want to support them, but you don't really like their music, but yeah. I mean, you don't hate it either, like you're supportive, but it's like this weird state of like, yeah, do it, <laughs> but it's, I mean, this isn't my jam, but I all the best for you and I'll come to your shows and support you but like there's this weird tension there of and I mean yeah it's like you don't want to be dishonest but you also don't want to needlessly put be a downer on your friend just to be like yeah it's okay <laughs> <laughs> um but so there's there's a lot of annoying stuff with social networks mostly the I found the music specific ones tend to be rotten cesspools of, of horribleness and like SEO strategies and spam and emailing and gaming you and trying to wrench every possible scent and value out of you. And I'm thinking of reverb nation and, uh, that's the prime example, <laughs> um, sonic gigs and some of the, I don't know if you've ever been to sonic gigs. No, <laughs> Um, that's one for finding shows, and I don't know if they're U.S. centric, maybe, or I don't know. But yeah, maybe that's the reason. Um, the, these terrible sites that are ostensibly for musicians, but um, and, and then there's always MySpace, of course, um, which was like kind of important at you know in like 2004. Um, so I mean, let's just talk about Reverb Nation, maybe, since we we both are familiar with that. <laughs> and I don't. Reverb Nation has all this like well, you're at this place on the chart. What are you going to do to go up the chart? And if you don't update your profile, you're going to drop down the chart. Oh, my God. And if you don't log in, you're going to lose your position in the chart. <laughs> and does anyone actually, like, do you know anyone who isn't a musician that created a Reverb Nation profile that has ever voluntarily looked at a chart on Reverb Nation? No, not as far as I know, no. <laughs> Have you ever heard anyone talk about Reverb Nation that wasn't a musician that had a Reverb Nation Account. No, no. As far as I know, um, a lot, some people have Reverb Nation because I mean it's easy to set up. You got you got to start somewhere. I mean most people now have a Facebook page, but the, yet there you can't really embed music uh, like f with a first party app or something. But Reverb Nation is just yeah, as you said, the, some it, it's kind of like MySpace. But the problem is, I mean you've got you've got social networks where. It's just a sausage party because everybody just wants to sh shove their stuff in your face but not listen to the others. And then you've got Reverb Nation where the website itself is also the problem, uh, yeah. like, like with the chart position. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to call it extortion because that would imply that you get anything out of being first place on the charts. <laughs> but I, I mean, I remember that when we released our album, we were like uh, in rank one or two or three in the in the charts in our region. So basically our state, 
and there was just nothing getting the the only thing nothing that happened to show is, for is, it. yeah just random profiles started following you in the hopes of you following back so this this whole thing of yeah i like your page if you like my page so um that that that's the whole thing where where i always go like yeah that's that's just a sausage party there yeah and that's a i think a frequent problem online when you try to find the right community to share your music and to do it in a tasteful way, because if every community is just, Hey, check us out. And it's just a million posts of, Hey, listen to me. That's just a, a shitty community. No one wants to be there. And I mean, I'm part of a, a Facebook group and I'll just call it out directly. Fa uh, Denver music scene. I'll call it out because I'm going to say good things about it. Um, they have very, you know, very strict policies on don't promote your stuff here. This is for a community to exist. So you have conversations with people that aren't just listen to me or check out what I did. And so they, they have a very strict policy on don't do any self-promotion whatsoever. This is for the community to exist. You know, you have your own website, you have your own Twitter, you have your own everything else where you can just be blasting, you know, the Kool-Aid of your own stuff constantly. Um, but I find that like, I, you know, let's just take Twitter as an example. I don't really follow musicians on Twitter because unless they're, they're posting as people, but yeah. if they're, if they're, if it's just the, the official account of this band and it's just like, Hey, we're touring. Hey, we're going to be in this city. Hey, we just did this. You know, it's, I don't like seeing that in my Twitter stream. Like oh. when I mention when I want to see interviews or watch videos, I'll just Google that band and find that stuff. But you know, I mean, I found it with comedians. It's trickier because I do follow a bunch of comedians and they post a lot of jokes on Twitter. So that works really well. Cause Twitter is <laughs> a really great format for short jokes. Um, but then sometimes when those comedians go on tour, all they post about is which city they're going to be in next and where and where you can buy tickets. And that's their right to, you know, they're promoting their show. They're trying to get ticket sales. But it's like, how do you balance that line of like not just being an obnoxious marketing machine, but still being a person and, so, and worth interacting with? Yeah, I think it's important to have this balance between promotion and interaction with people. And that's the problem with, with with most of bigger artists than on Twitter. As you said, it's just like, yeah, look at us. We're now uh, we're now here, and we're getting some dinner for before the gig. And it's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm, I, I would rather you be <laughs> in my town and play here. Um, and it's it's just now if, if they couple that with a lot of interaction, that's okay. I can I, I follow a bunch of of artists, but as you said, if it's just about yeah, we, uh, here's our new release, and then here's our new release again, and now we've got a video for it, and yeah, that, there are better places for that than Twitter. Yeah, it, I, I always worry about these cynical situations showing up where, like, they're probably correct from a an SEO strategy that it probably makes sense to just push that stuff hard in those channels. But as a human, I'm just like, oh, this is ugly. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be this way. <laughs> I don't want to just sit and... I know even like to, to get a little bit meta with Sunrise Robot stuff, I'm like worried about like, I don't want my whole Twitter stream to be me posting episodes of the podcast network. Like, I think I'm going to find a balance there of like mostly trying not to be the, the, the loudspeaker that's doing that. Yeah. Just, just to get back to that, uh, that Facebook group discussion. Um, I was part of a Facebook group of a local one that was called, I think, Musica NRW, so which is North Rhine-Westphalia or area here. And I actually got kicked out of the the group because it was okay to 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 promote your stuff there, to post some stuff, as long as you weren't spamming it. 
Now, um, you could set your clock to this one guy always posting his own band and always posting the same two songs every two days at the same time. So I started just taking a screenshot of it. And next time we posted, I commented with the screenshot. And next time we did it, uh, I commented again. And a friend of mine who was also in the group also said, yeah, you're kind of posting that. I think we already, already all have heard that song by now. And then I, if uh, the somebody else in that band was the admin of that group and kicked me out of it. Uh, you made the wrong enemy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, um, w with music, it's harder to promote music in and by itself because for somebody else to, to, to um, consume your music, they have to hit the play button and they got to spend like three to five minutes to listen to the song until they... Maybe they, they got an opinion like 20 seconds in, but usually you want your, want the people to, to listen to the, to, uh, to the whole song. But now if I compare that to, say, somebody who's an artist who draws pictures or from my other hobby where I do cosplay, where you just post a photo, if you just scroll through the feed, you, you kind of see all these photos and all these, I don't know, drawings and all that. You can, you can scan them quickly and you can see, yeah, I like that. I don't like that. So it's like, um, it's real, it, it's a lot easier to, to just get it to people, to, to, yeah. to see your stuff than to make people listen to your stuff. So I think that's the main problem with, with all these, uh, music platforms, like even SoundCloud, if you ask me and, and Reverb Nations and all that, where it's like, you don't have just, you just don't have the time to listen to all of it. And so people just resort to spamming. So if I spam my song to 100 groups, there are going to be 10 people who listen to it. And if I do it every day, there's going to be 70 people at the end of the week. And if I do that the whole month, we've got 280 people at the end of the month. So, But you're making the world a worse place. <laughs> that, that's the thing. It's an endless game, but you're, you're annoying everybody else. And that's something I would never want to do. So I really, I'm, I'm really conscious about not posting any, I mean, Even my, my, my personal Facebook account, I rarely mention my music anymore. At least, I don't know, maybe twice a month or so. And that's, yeah. I don't know, these, these, these music portals and it's, it's not just Reverb Nation. It's like every, every two weeks on, on Reddit, on We Are the Music Makers, I, there's a new thread of like, yeah, I made a new website for artists to do X and Y and Z. And it's like, yeah, but you haven't solved the problem that it's going to end up like everybody else where it's, yeah, it's going to be a cesspool. Yeah. Everybody puts up their song, wants you to listen to it, but not going to use it themselves. And I mean, I have no solution for that problem, to be <laughs> honest, but what, what are we going to do? <laughs> I, I think the problem is the 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 creators are almost always going to be spammers i mean not everyone there's i mean there's good people that try to be thoughtful about it but there's always going to be a huge army of spammers in this space they're just like dude check out my band and i mean that's that's human history that's you know someone handing out flyers after the show come on check out this show man no <laughs> i don't want this piece of paper i gotta throw away um but I think the one possible angle to think about it is to really just as an artist and thinking about how you want to try to get your stuff out there is to focus on what listeners actually do, like real listeners. Yeah. And um, you were talking about visual art and how easy it is to scan through pictures and cosplay. And if, you, if you're a painter or any of this stuff. Um, and I think one of the things you do that I think is really strong is you pair your music with videos a lot and whether it's a live performance or just some other kind of visual art. Um, I think that's an important way to get someone to stick around a little longer to check out your music 
is give them something to look at too and yeah. you know mix the media together um i think you know just blowing that up a bit that's why a lot a huge avenue for bands blowing up is movie trailers or just soundtracks um placements in films commercials yeah and commercials is huge and that's because people will stick around and watch a commercial, maybe not on YouTube, but, you know, if they're watching a TV show or something, it'll just happen and they'll hear your song. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this effect of, uh, came for the video, stayed for the music. And that's, that's the best compliment that you, you can get in this kind yeah. of situation. <laughs> so, I mean, if you think of it, definitely chime back in. I think that's probably enough for now on the, the pros and cons of social media. Um, if you're a musician, maybe just try to be thoughtful about not making your stream a bunch of garbage that, I mean, I know your stuff, your art is beautiful and your stuff's amazing and it's all a beautiful snowflake, but maybe yeah. try to remain a person online and don't just become a little marketing machine. But, you know, I'm probably wrong commercially that you probably should just be a douche and post horrible stuff all the time and you'll succeed, but hopefully not. We can all agree that it's, it's, it's better to go to the avenue where you can find the listeners and not not just spam to other musicians who who are just going to spam back. So, as you said, yeah. it's, it's better to, to just try to find some way to to get to listeners instead of just other musicians. I mean, it's a lot of these music social networks are literally the same as if you had a giant warehouse with a hundred bands playing at once inside yeah. with all their <laughs> own amps. And imagine what that room sounds like. Would a listener want to go in that room? No. <laughs> Um, so a slightly different topic is, uh, there's this interesting new tool, um, that came out. I don't know when it came out, but it seems pretty new, new kid on the block. It's in beta. Um, and it's, it's might be described as GitHub for musicians. And do you want to tell us about splice a little bit? Yeah. So it's basically, you, you can kind of start something like a shared Dropbox with other people that's, um, completely integrated with your, with your, uh, audio workstation of choice so maybe if we both use pro tools or logic we can kind of sync our project in there and all the files that go into there and so i'm just uploading my project and you can open it uh, on your site and it's just self-contained and probably just easier than than putting everything in the dropbox or something i'm i'm sure they have got some tools that make it even better but for now i mean we haven't we couldn't really try it out because First of all, I'm using Ableton and you're and I, I think, is it Logic? Yeah. Well, I thought that was one of the, I mean, we haven't tried it yet, but one of the killer apps was supposedly it would make it a little easier for people working in different DAWs yeah. to interact on a project. Like, obviously, it can't just sync a Logic project and make it work in Ableton, but it could sync all the MIDI and all the samples, and maybe it has some little logic to figure out the the time code to actually have yeah. a project file you'd be able to use. I mean, that, that'd, be, that'd be the best reason to maybe get something like a generic audio project work file going. So, I mean, for, for Photoshop, if you've got, or for images, you've got the PSD files. I mean, now, now it's mostly oriented to Photoshop, but I know a thousand of tools that can open a Photoshop file. Yeah. So maybe it's just now, now it's the time to finally get some kind of protocol going standardize an audio project yeah that's file. what i mean right so uh i mean not, not everything's gonna fit in there and there's always gonna be some special cases but at least if i got a bunch of audio and media files going and the same vst plugins which are daw agnostic anyway 
Um, I just want to be up, able to upload it and you can open it in Logic and it at least has the same tracks with the same notes on it and the same the same audio tracks yeah. on it, which shouldn't be too much of a problem. Yeah, um, I think I think we're gonna get there. Um, I, I I've seen like the this collaboration stuff like it started with Git for for programming and project management for feature branches and collaborating with people but it's starting to eat the more complex media the the audio and maybe video eventually um as as bandwidth gets good enough where it's actually practical to sync stuff everywhere um i when i did the detective soundtrack with benji um we used dropbox and we were both on logic but we still had to kind of watch out for working on the same song at the same time um which is something famously that git can deal with and so like if there was some kind of merge process for changes in a, in a song yeah but that's something then splice can actually do so if you're making a change on the song you can actually do something like a commit message so you can say yeah i changed something on that synth and did some panning on these tracks and all that uh, instead of just putting it in a dropbox and hoping that the other person reads it in a chat yeah. of choice the the one thing i worry about is splice is is going the freemium route um, which is cool at first because you're like, hey, it costs nothing. Um, but they already started to email me to buy plugins and to buy some other stuff. And I'm like, this better not be like something you just do all the time because I'm going to get very angry if you just become <laughs> a spammy platform. Um, but yeah, but I think the, the, these plugins, uh, you mean those, uh, yeah, that's the, the synthesizers there. I guess that's yeah. kind of like promotion. I, I can live with that, and I can... I mean, I already unsubscribed from that part of the newsletter. <laughs> yep, yep. I, I mean, they got to live from something, but as you said, if it starts to be like um, those essential tools that you only get when you start paying, then I'm going yeah. gonna, gonna to be skeptical. I mean, it's just like SoundCloud. If you SoundCloud, with a free account, you can do basically nothing. You can upload two hours of music, and that's it. And yeah. I know a bunch of DJs who have got sets that are longer than that, so... SoundCloud is pretty much useless to them. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's a good point. Like selling instruments or synthesizers is one thing and that's fine. Yeah. If they start gating splice features, it just depends on how they do it. So just hopefully that they stay good and they stay cool. Cause I, I totally get it. Like they're running a free platform. And so that's, they're just burning money unless yeah. they find a way to, to support themselves. But Hopefully they can find a, a user positive way to, to, for everyone can win. Um, anyway, maybe we'll actually need to make sure to try some stuff in Splice and maybe follow up on that next week. Um, maybe we could actually be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta settle on one DAW then. Yep. Um, so you, you shared some videos about some weird pedals. Do you want to talk about these? Yeah. So I just love guitar effects or just effects in general but especially guitar effects so um i for for a few years now i've been um playing exclusively in, in one of my bands playing exclusively through guitar rig and just software in general but i always like like these special um stomp boxes that you, you can sometimes find on the internet so right here we've got the uh, miku hatsune guitar pedal so if if you're familiar with, not familiar with it um, there's this synthesizer or a VST, or this plugin called Vocaloid, where you can just input MIDI notes and, and yeah, I guess Japanese lyrics, and it will sing those songs for you. So there's a whole scene around building songs with these virtual 
not really existent uh, vocalists singing Japanese, uh, I know, J-pop songs and J-rock and all that. And they actually uh, also do live concerts with uh, holographic imaging. So that, that I'm going to put some of these in the show notes. But what this is, is this is a guitar pedal that actually mimics this, uh, guitar, uh, this, this synthesizer. So you can play Miku Hatsune vocals through your guitar. And at first it's going to sound really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there, there's, there can actually be a use for that. I mean, especially, okay, now if you're in a J-Rock band, you can do that and be like, yeah, we've got this gimmick in this one song. But I think, Somebody who who's got a few other guitar pedals that they can chain there. I think you can get some really cool and crea creative sounds out of it. I mean, just because it's a, it's an anime girl guitar pedal doesn't mean you can use it for other things. So I just just find it interesting. And the guys in the video, of course, they they get a real good laugh out of it. But th there's always something when I see those videos. It's all like, yeah, that's funny. But maybe you can actually use it for something. And I'm actually yeah. looked into maybe getting this Vocaloid plugin just to see if, if you can something out of that yeah well i enjoyed the i think the second video you have here um you shared with me on twitter after i i think it was after some pulp came out because i did yeah. like a real beach boise song it's like total ripoff of like a brian wilson song because it's just like bouncy reverb happy with bop 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 so this guy's playing this guitar through this pedal and it's just like total brian wilson baba's happening <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's got the subtle chorus on it which makes it even, even yeah. <laughs> uh so i thought uh maybe now we could go to our pick of the week um and maybe i'll i'll go first this time i think i've made you go first a couple times in a row um My pick of the week is um, just uh, one of my most favorite artists of all time is Sufjan Stevens. And a lot of people already know of Sufjan, but um, he's got a new album coming out next month. And he released a, a, one of the songs from it, and it's called No Shade in the Shadow of the Cross. And um, I, I love this song because it's, it's a lot like some of his earlier stuff where it's very stripped down, very intimate, very uh, hushed. Um, I've always felt his voice is much better when he's he's hushed and not when he um, sings out a lot because he he doesn't really have a strong voice when he sings loud, um, but when he, when he does his soft stuff, it's just like disarmingly gorgeous. And uh, a little background I read about this song is uh, apparently this whole album is very personal, very almost confessional. Um, But I think he, he's a good enough artist that this won't be cringy personal, that it'll actually be um, accessibly and artistically sound. Um, and so some of the background on this song, as far as I can tell, and some of this is interpretation, is uh, he lost his mother a couple years ago. And this song is kind of about how um, he had a troubled relationship with his mom. He wasn't close to her. He didn't live with her most of his life. And um, as the child of of his mother, he wanted to feel close to her. And one of the ways he, he tried to do that was destructive behavior that his mother engaged in, in her life. So just abusing drugs or, um, abusing intimacy or abusing, um, other kinds of destructive behavior. And then sort of realizing that this is not a healthy way to mourn your mother's death. It's not really being closer to her. It's, there's no, I think that's what the no shade is. There's no relief trying to feel close to your mom by behaving in destructive ways. Um, 
Anyway, that's probably enough for me about my interpretation of the song, but it, it's gorgeous, so let's just listen to a little bit of that. I guess one more thing about why I like that Sufjan song is um, what he does well in most of his best songs is um, he tends to have w- one or maybe two progressions that he repeats the entire song, but he, he's just so good at layering as time goes on through a song. So he just adds harmonies or adds little other elements that sort of build the emotion, um, but keep the same pattern sort of rumbling forward. I don't know if you got a chance to check out this song or had any thoughts about it. Yeah, I got a chance to listen to it. I think it's just pleasant all the way through. I, I haven't gotten the, I haven't gotten to Serfian yet. I know you've you've recommended uh, him to me before, but I, I just didn't really get to it before. But my, maybe now is the chance. Maybe now when the, when the album's released, I'm gonna dive into to his discography then. Yeah. But from what I've heard, it's pretty enjoyable. It it. It also goes into this direction of, uh, um, I don't know, Uniform Motion, which we featured, I think, in mm-hmm. episode two or so. So um, it's definitely something I'm I'm going to go start listening from now on. So thank you for that recommendation. Yes. How about yours? Well, mine is um, Cats and Cats and Cats. And I, I picked the song A Boy Called Hans. So this band, uh, sadly, disbanded, I think, two years ago. So... Um, to describe them is they've got this pure and raw indie sound. So something like something you can I, I best remember from something like the first album from uh, Arcade Fire or something. And there's I know there's there's a lot of raunchy guitars and a lot of screaming, but also a lot of really really beautiful melodies. And um, it's just this this yeah as I said this raw garage sound, but still kind of clear and crisp and. Everything in there is just, you just want to start chanting together with them. And it's, it's really sad that they disbanded. I mean, they probably wouldn't have gotten to, to Germany for a gig anyway. So I, I probably wouldn't have ever had the chance to see them live, but that's something I, I, I still find sad that I, that I couldn't, couldn't experience it. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just, we're just going to play a little bit of it right here. Okay, so um, 
Did you get a chance to listen to it before the show? Yeah, I watched the video, which was a, an interesting video because the they're you know they're all playing unplugged instruments, which isn't that uncommon in yeah. music videos. But the the drummer is playing nothing. Um, <laughs> he's got drumsticks, but he's just waving at the air, and uh, there's lots of repetition. Yeah, um, it's, it's a very cheesy cheesy video. That is. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it looks like they just kind of camped out in someone's apartment and like, yeah, let's make a video. Yeah. Um, uh, what I liked about this song is, like you said, it was very crisp and uh, the the progressions were very pleasing. The chord progressions and um, the, I think it was, is it all in waltz time? It's it's mostly a waltz. Um, yeah, yeah, they they do um, a lot of borderline math rock stuff in their other songs. Yeah. So this and one's more straightforward with this time signature. This song almost reminded me, maybe it was the vocalist um, of some emo music, like late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but what, what lifted it out of that, which, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be a hater, but there's there's a lot of people that really hate emo music and or just got really sick of it really quickly, which I can understand. Um, but I think what lifts this out of that that hit um for me is uh the, the the use of the the brass and the and the accordion and it was there was just a brightness to it that was an infectious and, and pleasing to listen to um there was also some um like most of it's like really clean nice pop chord progressions and then they would just have these little dissonant notes or little dissonant chords they would throw in every once in a while which was just a point of interest for me. I was like, oh, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just the right amount of something that's just pleasing and something that's jarring and surprising, but but you always go back to it. And and as you said, they incorporate, a, uh, I know that especially live, they incorporate some violin in there. Um, and yeah, you, you just mentioned that emo. I, there, there was a brief time where I listened to Yellow Card to also use a violin in there, and the singer sounds almost exactly like this guy. Yeah. But, <laughs> They didn't have that 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 complexity in their music. I think they they were more on the I guess more punk rock side of emo, and these guys are more like on the uh, yeah almost experimental indie side. I mean that that song that yeah. was quite poppy that the one I chose, but they've got other songs that are way more experimental than this. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a very very pleasing, very pleasant song, and the video is just just silly enough to to get you through it too. If yes, we said some something to to watch while you listen. Exactly. Um, so those are our picks of the week. Um, as always, you can check them out in the show notes for direct links. And when possible, we'll also throw them on our Spotify playlist. Um, so you could subscribe to that and always see our picks of the week, including the whole backlog of them. Um, and you might think we'd be done, but we actually have a couple more topics. Um, we're actually going to stretch towards an hour today and give you your money's worth. Um, and maybe just... I. I felt like I wanted, I originally we were going to talk about this before pick of the week, but I thought talking about and having those samples and talking about repetition would lead into this topic pretty well. So I think you wrote this down about repeating patterns and structures and songs. So what are you thinking about here? Um, yeah, it came, came out of that, that I recently uh, dug out an old project of mine and listened back to it, which I, I just couldn't get past the, I don't know, the second chorus. I just didn't have an idea for a bridge or something. And as I was listening back, I just noticed that I was using the exact same chord progression in both verse and chorus, like the same song I, I released before that. So if, uh, somebody, so if you know our song Lives from the Estray, this song that I was working on had the same exact, exact progression in the same scale. And it, I mean, <laughs> it, but the thing is, it has a 
really different atmosphere. It it sounds nothing like that song, but it has the same everything else. So, and I always have this mantra of not writing the songs same song twice. So. I was kind of hoping to 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 get some support in you telling me that it's okay to do that. <laughs> I think that's totally okay. I mean, I mean, I'm a big fan of the the axis of awesome showing how every pop song is a four chord song, you yeah. know, one five six four. But you know, after I get done laughing about that, there is a wide variation. Maybe not just in pop music, but in people using that chord progression in very cheesy, terrible ways and very wonderful ways. And I think even within one artist, I mean, I'll, I'll just make this a Sufjan episode. He has some progressions he's used many times. And even in similar, like, I use this progression for five minutes and I build it up with layers over the course of the song. But for some reason, it just works because he does something different with the, the whole idea of the song. Um I, I even have a, a song, a Genetic Engine songs that I want to reuse because I originally wrote it as like an electronica thing, but then I turned it into like a guitar rock band thing. But I still love the electronica thing, but the songs are different songs. And those, it's like, I don't want to just be like, oh, that's the electronica cover of that other song. <laughs> I want it to be like, no, this is a different song that uses that one idea in a different way and has different lyrics and serves a different purpose. And I think I, I'm with you on like, you feel a little guilty, like, Oh, this is like violating some principle or sin of, <laughs> of being a creative person. But then I'm like, no, this can be every bit as creative as trying to write something that shares nothing. Yeah. It's just that every, every time I, I try to start with a blank slate and it's like, uh, you always fall into some kind of patterns so I start with a, with a sound that's like a little bit like piano or mallets or something. And then I start playing some kind of chord progressions. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm starting on the one. And then I either go down a semitone or four semitones or I go up to the third. And it's like, every time I do that, it's like, wait, anything that happens after that, I've already done that. Let's start somewhere else. <laughs> and then you notice that, okay, the only thing I can do completely differently is go completely out of the scale, but you can't do that all the time. So yeah. The the things the thing is the chords are limited. So, but what you can do is like place them at different times, not just like okay every every chord gets one bar. So you can you can push them around a little bit or just repeat one of them twice. So I I remember this. I wouldn't even call it a breakthrough, but a few years ago when I started really writing my own songs, when I noticed that wait a second, I can just use three chords instead of four. I don't have to play four <laughs> different chords every time. Maybe I'm just going to use three and repeat one yeah. of them. And maybe maybe this phrase goes on for six or seven chords, and then the next one is just this one little, like, yeah, you can you can phrase things in, in any certain way. And I don't know, I, I kind of view, like, the underlying chord progression is, yeah, it's, in some ways it's really foundational, but in other ways it's, most listeners don't consciously really think about it. I mean, it's the whole flavor of the whole song, but they're thinking about the melody or, you know, mostly it's the melody they're thinking of and they don't realize how the chord supports the melody. But I like you can use the same chords, but every single other layer of your song can be completely different. Yeah. And that makes it a totally different experience, even if it's the same chords. Yeah, I just thought that maybe I'm, maybe to 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 break this this thought blockade that I've got. Maybe I'm just gonna go back and pick songs that I've already written and 
specifically choose the same chord progressions just to try to make something completely different out of them. And then I hopefully I'm not going to feel guilty anymore. So what this reminds me of is you ever seen those like CSS remix websites where you get the same HTML and people make completely different looking websites out of them? I've never seen that, but I can imagine that's pretty awesome. Now I got to look So <laughs> that's really analogous to this, I think, because they have literally the same structure HTML semantically and the websites are wildly different. Um, and I think that's what this is like. And I mean, yeah, you could, if you're not a good artist, you'll probably end up making websites that all look the same, but you can really, you can really do a lot. And then I think this is, it's sort of like picking which layer you want to try to, to innovate on or, or be creative in. Cause I mean, I know, yeah, I want to be creative on every level, but on some, like it's, you can't be different in every aspect. You can't write completely different songs all the time. <laughs> and yeah, there's there's no shame in having little... Th I mean, it's inevitable. There are going to be little aspects of things you create that are going to be recognizably part of you and part of what you do. But um, you can still express them in all these different ways and in different places. And I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I like feeling like every song I make is, is kind of a totally different animal. But there's tons of patterns in what I do and things I tend to do in certain situations because... You know, sometimes you're 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 the artist. I'm this like magical force that's inventing things. But then, half the time, I feel like maybe this is the way it is for you. Songwriting is really kind of like problem solving. It's more mm -hmm. like an engineer's task. You're like, well, I need to make these things fit. I need to make these things flow, and I need them to be smooth. And it's more of like problem solving than some magical inspiration. What what got me to this topic was was those chord progressions, but. It already starts with the sounds because the the thing is, if you're playing in a rock band, chances are eighty percent of your songs have we are gonna have the same guitar sound. So if you're a guitarist, you have that default guitar sound. You either have the clean sound and you've got a got a rhythm part or a lead part, but you've got these I don't know three or four sounds that you're basically reusing all the time because they uh, fulfill a specific purpose. So. Every time I make a new song and I work in the, I mean, I work exclusively in the box. So I was like, I don't want to reuse the same synthesizer patch all the time. But what, what makes the synthesizer sound different from the guitar where it's okay to reuse the sound? So I kind of found myself being like, yeah, where, why do I make these arbitrary rules for myself where I can be like, yeah, wait, I like that synth sound. I can reuse the, that one in, I remember all of my songs if I wanted to. And m maybe it's, yeah, I think it's because I, I always try to make something completely different, but I've now decided to to be like, okay, I've got these few sounds. Let make let's make a few songs with that, and just call it an, an EP and be like, okay, that's the whole concept. You you want this whole sound to be the same throughout these songs, so I'm gonna just gonna use the same sounds anyway. Why why make it different from me if I'm gonna pick yeah pick well I don't know. This pad sounds slightly brighter than the other pad, so why, why make it hard on myself? Yeah, and I, I mean, I think this is one of those impulses that is a, a, a good artist has that, you know, a little bit of paranoia because that's what drives you to make new things. You just can't let it destroy you or be like some kind of yeah. like limiting. Or just inhibit or, your cre creativity, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like it's good to be a little bit aware of like, oh... Because there are, there are artists that pump out the same song a hundred times and you're like, dude, stop it. We yeah, got it. Make something but, new. 
I don't think you're in danger of that yet. Maybe, you know, if you, if you go 10 years of, I like this synth sound and I'm only using this synth <laughs> sound for everything, then maybe it'd be time to move on. But now I feel a little bit better about this. Yeah. Feel good about yourself. <laughs> and our, our, our final topic, this, uh, this longer than normal episode, but hopefully we'll, we'll hit towards an hour. Uh, if we can find enough things to talk about, um, cover art. So, as a listener, as a creator, when you make your own stuff or when you look at other people's stuff, what makes good cover art? And this could, I mean, let's try not to make this about all visual art of all time because that topic's <laughs> way too huge. But just, you know, music cover art, album art. I mean, what what is your approach? I mean, do you, I think you designed your yourself or did you get the help? Or? No, um, none of the genetic engine stuff was my design, um, which is kind of rare for me because I usually am a control freak. I like to own it all. Um, maybe I just didn't feel like I was good enough yet. And maybe I, I think I've been practicing design stuff enough that I think I could pull something off now. Um, so for genetic engines, my, my, uh, coworker, Brian Yonke did the first album cover, which has a, you know, little noun project gun and, uh, um, just some topography stuff and some little splatters of color. And, uh, I think what's cool is, um, maybe even better than the main cover is he did some covers specifically for certain songs. So this is an, is an excuse to, uh, link to my genetic engines band <laughs> camp, but, um, for he didn't get through the whole album, but for rotation, feels like death might win, seal the deal, and uh, car crash, he he made little covers for those songs, and uh, they're I re I really like them. Um, they're they're very uh, you know flat shaded um, intersections of color, sort of you know almost like Venn diagrams, and very abstract. I mean, there's there's distinguishable shapes. I think one of my favorite ones he did was seal the deal because it just has this like this blood splattered phone with yeah. a, a hand reaching for it. And, uh, I don't Which know. I just perfectly with the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as far as approach, um, I don't, I don't think I've done enough to, to have an approach. And probably if I did a bunch, I would say there are any number of approaches <laughs> that you could take. I, I tend to like, I don't know. I've done more flyer design than an album cover design and there's slightly different motivations there. Um, but with a flyer, like the number one job is get people's attention and that's either by being beautiful or by being hilarious or, you know, shocking or, you know, it's, it's, it's the exclamation point of design is you're trying to grab attention and then, then you have the chance for people to read the details. Oh, it's this band. They're playing this show here, but you know, I see so many flyers that are just the show information in big letters and there's no design sense. And I'm like, you didn't make me care before you told me the details. You need to like, you know, zap me with some beautiful stuff. And then <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I actually kind of want to check out the show or at least, you know, investigate a little further. I've been talking a lot. What do you think about album cover design? Well, I think what you just described with the with the flyers, I think that's just what I what I was thinking about when I wrote this this topic down because um, it came from browsing Bandcamp and going through this explore thingy where you only see the album cover to to where you can hit play, and the thing is that most of the time I found myself only clicking on those uh, links that I either like just the band's name or the cover art, and I mean that's that's kind of a superficial way to go about it because it 
supposed to be about the music, but as as I said earlier, that you, you can't really scan all of those like you would do with with visual art. So you gotta you, you're going to stop at things that m either look good or just sound good when like with the with the band name. So I was browsing through through Bandcamp and I noticed that a lot of those album covers I. I, I just couldn't give a damn about because it, it, <laughs> yeah. what I've noticed that most of them are dark and have have just a little bit of text and then there's either the there there there's a school of thought of like yeah let's do some crappy art because we're totally indie and hipster yeah. and all that and then I mean every almost every metal cover looks the same I'm just gonna say it now um, <laughs> e e even from from all of the friends I have who have play in metal bands when they release an album all their album covers are completely interchangeable so <laughs> so the thing is what I'm looking for is give me, give me something different and something bright and something that that just jumps into my eyes and um Yeah. Now I don't know if if the the covers I've produced so far really satisfy that itself because I'm I, I come from the different direction because I I look at this cover and I, I I know the music before that and it's like okay I'm gonna turn this music into something that yeah. that's being represented in visual form. So if I were to go from the other side, if I were to go okay now let's just design a cover and let's not care about the music, I would re definitely go for something bright, but. Other than that, I, I don't really have a formula. I just know that most of the things that I saw were like, okay, I, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I don't. This, this looks like nothing. And I think what needs to go away is, I mean, I think I saw this more in the the '90s, but like the the faded typewriter font. Oh God. Um, I'm a little tired of that. Needless to say, you know, Comic Sans or Papyrus or some of these just just don't even. And I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Comic Sans on an album cover, but I have seen Papyrus, and I'm like, dude, don't don't do it. Yeah, I mean, e either go with uh, I don't know Helvetica, Futura. You can't go wrong with that. I mean, I, the thing is, when I when I did my album covers, it's always like uh, Lars, um, my fiance, did some painting or something with watercolor. We scanned that and I just slapped our title in Futura on that and called it a day because at the end of the day, it's it's hard enough to make people listen to the music. It's just, I, if I get yeah. them to, to listen to the music, I don't care about the cover art, but at least I wanted something bright and something that, that yeah. looked nice. So if in case if if you're if you're a listener and you're just sitting there with your fully produced album or EP and you're like I I don't have a album cover, uh just just grab a great looking picture with with some great contrast yeah. and slap some Helvetica feature on that. That's all yeah, right, I guess. Like unless <laughs> if you don't have an idea or you don't have access to to artists that can really produce something for you that's going to be really yeah. special. Yeah, I think just find a full bleed photo that is really nice in some way, you know, some dimension, whether yeah. it's representative of the content or just a damn interesting photo. And yeah, slap some high contrast font that disappears, that doesn't draw attention to itself. Like Helvetica is famous for being pretty much it disappears. Yeah, so if if you want if you want to have something eye catching just Just rely on other people who already did the did the, the creative visual stuff, because I just noticed that I kind of kind of said two different things there, being like, "Yeah, nothing's <laughs> noticeable," and then I went like, "Yeah, just do do anything." But the thing is, I, I mean, probably just just look at what other people do in your genre or 
wherever you're gonna put it so in that case for me it was like Bandcamp. i just wanted to know so other electro rock or any pop artists what kind of covers did uh, did they make and yeah. there was just just i i i just wanted to have something that's different from them i mean and then you can just go and hunt for i i, I was about to say stock footage but um i don't know, ask a photographer friend uh, well I think there are some avenues though, like with, with Google and Flickr, you can, you yeah. can focus on Creative Commons reusable photos and you can find something where you're not stealing someone's content. Um, please ask for permission first. Yeah. But there are people that put their photography on Flickr and they actually have a Creative Commons search engine so you could look specifically for stuff. And there's, there's good stuff on there. Um, I, I, sometimes I just need textures to work with. And I tend to try to go to Flickr or other places and find textures where someone has said, hey, this is free for commercial use. And the 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 grainy uh, texture behind uh, Likely Stories cover I, I got through Flickr. And then, and then I did some color gradient stuff to it, you know, messed it up and played with it a bunch. But the base layer came from Creative Commons photo. So there's there's some good stuff out there you can find to work with. Maybe we can just ask our listeners. So, if if you got just get a cover art in mind, especially if it's from like an indie artist, not like a big artist that everybody knows already, and just something that that you said, I didn't even listen to the music. I just looked at the cover and thought, yeah, I want to know what that is about. So, if you can just send it in through Twitter or any avenue that we we are represented on, I'm just just eager to to, to look at that and maybe draw yeah. some inspiration from that. And what are your, yeah, what are your favorite cover arts of all time? Whether, you you know, even if it's a, a famous artist, but I, I would love to see stuff I've never seen before. Like, yeah, definitely. And with that, I think we've gone through our, our laundry list of topics. So I'm giving you a quality episode this time. Um, this was episode four of Bits and Pieces, and you can find the show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash four. And uh, you'll find the links to all the articles we talked about and also to the picks of the week and our Spotify playlist. And uh, I'm Mike Edwards. You can find me online on Twitter at Medwards Music. And you can find me on Twitter at Echolox, which is E-C-H-O-L-O-X. And we do want to take a second to shout out to our Patreon supporters. So uh, if you head to uh, patreon.com slash sunrise robot, um, you can find out uh, how you can actually support the network and, and uh, help us launch new shows and improve our quality and keep this good stuff going. And uh, Bruce Edwards is one of our Patreon supporters. And we thank you so much for your support. Um, Bruce Edwards is also my dad. So that's always nice. And with that, I, I think we're good. Anything else? Nope. All right. See you next week.